Engaging Leader, Episode 200, Discover How You Contribute to the World, featuring Tom Rath. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at workforcecommunication.com. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. It's been said that great jobs are made, not found. So if you aren't loving your current job, how can you turn it into a job that you want? Finding fulfillment in our life's work requires contributing meaningfully to the world around us. These are some insights from the latest book by our friend Tom Rath. It's called Life's Great Question, Discover How You Best Contribute to the World. And I thought it was really exciting to have Tom join us on our 200th episode of Engaging Leader because Tom has actually been featured on several of our episodes. He is... Perhaps of all of our guests, I think he might be the one whose books I've read the most. This is now his seventh book that I've read. I'm not even sure how many books he's written, but I've read seven of them. Love them all. I interviewed him about a few of them. Eat, Move, Sleep, Are You Fully Charged, for example. Tom is perhaps his first bestseller was How Full Is Your Bucket? He's very well known as the author of StrengthsFinder 2.0. He helped Gallup develop the StrengthsFinder assessment, which is so widely used in many organizations, um, making a difference all around the world in with individuals and teams, figuring out how to play to their strengths, make the best use of what people are naturally wired for, what they're naturally good at, as opposed to what a lot of us were taught was identify our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and then work really hard at getting better at those. And maybe there's something to be said for that, but it's a much better return on investment when you identify what your strengths are and then make the most of those, get even better at what your strengths are. And so that's been a, a longtime passion for Tom. And now his new, in his new book, he has taken another step beyond strengths and looked at, well, how do you make a difference in the world? And how do you find meaning in your life and your work? And it goes beyond just what are you good at or what your passions are, although those are factors. But how, what's your unique contribution? What's your voice in the world? How do you really make a difference in other people's lives, in the lives of real people and in the world uh, and community around you? So we will be talking about how to redesign the job you have into the job you want. Um, Or, you know, you can even get more drastic, if you will, and go just pursue a different job altogether. But it still helps to know how, where are are your greatest contributions. And we'll be talking about how to align your work with your greatest potential contributions while still keeping in touch with how you're wired, what you need, and what gets you excited. And how doing so will lead to greater success in your career, as well as in your health and well-being. Tom Rath, welcome back to The Engaging Leader. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Tom, one of the core themes of your new book, Life's Greatest Question, is instead of following your passions, follow your greatest contributions. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, it's the convergence of kind of a theme about focusing on contribution that uh, there have been a few big influences on my thinking there, and I think the one that really has altered my focus and daily attention in the last few years is 
just reflecting on one of my favorite quotes of all time from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who his exact words were, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And for me, that thought, it it may sound like kind of a grand 30,000 foot question, but I've actually used that on a daily basis to anchor how I spend my time, both professionally and even personally with family to say, what am I doing today that's really completely oriented outward and focused on how I can help others to grow and have more well-being over time? And um, that kind of came together with, uh, I was watching a, a commencement address that Ben Horowitz gave at Columbia University a few years ago on YouTube. would recommend that to anyone to watch. And he began talking about how instead of following your passion to follow where your greatest contribution is, and those aren't the exact words he had, but his whole talk is worth watching. And I think it hit me there that, you know, there's been a lot of work on who we are as individuals and a lot of work on finding and following your passion. And, you know, I had somebody the other day ask me, you know, when I found my purpose and I chuckled because I, I still don't think I've found my purpose and I don't <laughs> think I ever will. I I think there's kind of an ongoing continuum and a curve of figuring out how you can make even greater and better and stronger contributions to this world. And when you realize that's an ongoing journey that occurs every single day, it makes life a little easier, less stressful and more enjoyable based on what I've learned over the last few years. So, Tom, that flies a little bit in the face of some conventional wisdom, which says, hey, if you're trying to figure out your meaning in life or what kind of work is best suited for you, start with your passions. What what are the pitfalls with starting with that sort of passion-centric model? Yeah, and, you know, I see why people start there, and I, I think I've probably done that myself and been guilty of advocating that too much at times in the past. Um, and the the challenge is when I started to work back to how we can all create a lot of collective improvement in the world through the work that we do, you really need to step back and say, what does the world need? And if you start with what your community needs, what your family needs, what your organization needs, what the world needs, and then you work back to who you are as a person, personality-wise, what motivates you, what you're passionate about and what you've enjoyed doing, then you can start to triangulate and have those two things meet in the center. But my concern with passion in particular is if you just start by saying, how can I spend more of my life doing what I'm passionate about? That's essentially beginning with the assumption that this big world revolves around you and who you are. And I've found it doesn't usually work that way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in fact, which reminds me, you, you have another brand new book called It's Not About You. Can you take a, just a second and tell <laughs> us about that? <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of a, f- a fun title. That was a, a a quick uh, Amazon original story that uh, we just published at the start of this year. And it's a book title I've always wanted to use, but I never had the courage to put on a business book because I wasn't <laughs> sure anyone would share it. Um, and it's that's essentially the more personal summary of what I've learned is that, you know, if I uh, wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm focused on what I can do to have more fun with friends and help one of my kids to grow And even on a personal basis, if I'm just focused outward throughout the day, it usually results in a day where I feel better at the end of the day about what I've contributed. I've had more fun. It's been more productive for other people. And I've had less inward-focused thoughts that usually aren't as helpful. 
when I orient my days around, it's about other people. And, you know, the, the beauty of this as well is that, you know, I sometimes think about this in a similar way to investing from a financial standpoint in that if I spend two hours today contributing to something that gets to continue growing a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, that's something that continue to can continue to have a life of influence on its own in perpetuity, where if I just spend my time for the next few hours trying to get to inbox zero, I may feel good about it in the near term, but nobody's going to care tomorrow or in the end about things like that. Is there... I guess when you describe, you know, an ideal day like that, is there a risk of being entirely too self uh, focused on other people and, you know, missing sort of self-reflection and um, identifying like, okay, but what am I making sure some of my basic needs get met as well? You know, I'm glad you asked that, Jesse, because there is one, maybe two, one really important caveat I've seen where over the last few years, when, it's interesting when I interview some of the most admired leaders out there in the world. And I, there was one guy who was one of the top people in the last administration uh, at the White House, and a uh, very influential leader in the world for the last 25 years. And when I spoke to him on a Saturday morning, I needed to talk to him about some things. He's working on a new book I'm helping him with. And all he wanted to do was ask about me and my health and my family and how I'm doing. And he's just an exceptional listener focused on me. And it's been refreshing for me to see how the people I admire most, the leaders, the teachers, the nurses, um, the people who I would put at the top of kind of building the fabric of our society, they are very other-oriented and other-focused by nature. And the big challenge for that group is not as much getting focused outward like we're talking about. It's remembering that they need to focus on having the health and energy they need to be their best each and every day. And so I think it is important for all of us to remind ourselves of the really tried but true oxygen mask example about how if you don't ensure that you have the sleep and health and activity and nourishment you need to be your best each and every day, there's no way you can do as much for other people as you're hoping to do. So that's a very important reminder that we do need time for our own health and energy and reflection and peace of mind and meditation or prayer or whatever it is for you. Uh, to be your best on a daily basis. Now, this book is about helping people discover uh, how they can contribute to the world, what their greatest contributions are. How does that compare with the the idea of purpose, like what's your purpose in life is? Is there a difference? I think so, and I'm just learning about this as I've published more work on it, but um, I, I think people often look to finding purpose as a, a, a large, grand, sometimes sig- singular event, whereas contribution, the the beauty of that word as I got into the semantics of it is that contribution is about the little things you do within an hour, within a day that make a difference for another human being and ideally continue to grow beyond that as well. And when I look at how we build a purposeful life or how we build a meaningful life, I think that occurs one contribution at a time. And contributions are not just about us as individuals as well. What I learned through this work and helping people put together profiles of how they can contribute is that ideally that's a team conversation about how we get a group of three, four, or five people together. And as a team, we can make even bigger and better contributions as a group collectively 
than we could in isolation. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So it also raises the question of um, contributions versus strengths. Uh, in the book, you've gotten pretty specific, and you've identified 12 basic types of contributions. And um, what, what what are can you explain that a little bit and how that relates to the uh, another concept of strength, such as the the Clifton Strengths Finder? Yeah, and you know the thing I've learned through all the work that I've been involved with on strengths over the years is that your natural talents or strengths are probably the best starting point for understanding who you are as an individual as you begin to map out how you can contribute to a group or team or community. And so as a part of the Contribify inventory and tool that is included with the book Life's Great Question, and people can use that and go through it as many times as they'd like over the span of years and decades as they join new teams and so forth, some of the things that we ask people about as a part of building that profile for yourself are, you know, what are the big roles you play in life? So for me, it's being a husband, a father, a writer, and a researcher. We ask people, what are the big life experiences? And we call them miles or most influential life experiences. And that's a great way to get to know someone as you talk about that when you're forming teams. And then the third thing we ask people about are how they would describe their strengths and what they feel are the best descriptors for their strengths. So that's a formative part of that profile. And then we take people through a whole series of questions about how they want to contribute through their work or to a given team that they're on right now. And the team piece or how they want to contribute to a team is something that I hope people redo and renew and update whenever they're joining new teams and the like. So ideally, as people begin to assemble a profile like that that includes their strengths, that helps them to begin to match who they are with what the world needs. And really those contributions that we've talked about a little bit those were derived from a deep dive that I did into what are all the things that are valued in our society that people get paid to do that others would say make a positive contribution. And so it's I think it's all kind of a continuum, not just in an individual point in time, but over an entire career, the point is probably to figure out how you can make even greater contribution through the work that you're doing as each year goes by. And there are going to be entire years in your career where you make some forward progress, you take a few steps back, make a few forward steps. And it's I think if we can see that as a journey of increasing contribution, then you're probably headed in the right direction. Yeah, after reading the book, I went to the Contribify website and completed my profile and answered those questions. And it was interesting to me how they were asking not only what I'm good at, um, but also a lot about what I like to do, what energizes me. So it was both an outward focus, but also like, you know, what actually fills me up, which obviously has a lot of connectivity to your uh, your past works. Yeah. And, you know, I've observed across all of the different bodies of work and research that we've done a lot. We've put a lot of effort into helping people to uncover their personality from kind of academic big five models to the Clifton Strengths work to um, what you've seen on kind of individual dimensions of personality that contribute to teams and all those instruments over time. But what we haven't spent as much time on is understanding what motivates people and how some of their most searing life experiences and work experiences have shaped who they are. And, you know, resumes, for example, put a lot of emphasis on 
job tasks and titles and functional things that you've done, but it, they don't get into the real emotional descriptors for why we do what we do each day. And so one of my goals over the next five or 10 years is just to help people to have even more personal, emotional, and meaningful conversations about who they are and why they're doing what they do when they join new teams or join new organizations. Another of the themes of the book is great jobs are made, not found. If a, if a person isn't feeling fulfilled in their current job, what can they do to turn it into a job that they really want? You know, I'm glad you asked that because that's probably the best place to start is to say, with the current job or work that you do, what are the little things that you could experiment with to turn that job into one that's even better or one that you like even more, or it's not as miserable in some cases, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, usually the right answer isn't to just dramatically jump to a whole new company or leave your current job without even putting the effort in to say, may, I mean, in most cases I've observed, leaders and managers really want each of us as individuals to be able to achieve the goals that are necessary and outcomes that need to be completed that are associated with a job, but they want us to do it in our own way. And sometimes we walk into a job and just kind of fall into the default of doing what we've seen someone else do or doing what's been done for the last five years. So my point there is that most managers I've spent time with are very receptive if you are to have a conversation with them and say, I think I can get more done in less time if I do my job this way, if I work here these days and here these days, if I work with this team, if I do it this way instead of the way it's been done by colleagues or peers in the past. And so I think to structure your job to work for your well-being and to work for the outcomes the organization needs is one part. Second part is to say, how can you frame the work you do so that you see the meaning of the work on a daily basis? So many times it's we think through the tasks that don't have as much emotional meaning and we need to be able to connect our efforts. So if you're in food service, for example, how can you see the customers that are enjoying the food that you're preparing on a day-to-day -day basis? If you work in a call center, how can you hear some of the impact stories to understand the effect that your work has? Or maybe just take the time throughout your day to acknowledge that you took one person who called in that was really irate and turned them around to where their day is going to continue to be a little bit better because of the work that you're doing. And we've got to find ways to help people and ourselves acknowledge those small victories throughout the day. Hmm. What are some of reasonable expectations that people can have today about their work beyond just earning a fair paycheck? What's reasonable to assume that you should be able to get out of your work? No, I, I, I love that because I think when I step back and look at what the future of work should be, I think we should all go home at the end of a typical work day and be able to have more energy than when we showed up in the morning we should go home and we should be better friends and spouses and parents and community members because of the work that we do. And if you ask one of our best friends if we're better off because of the work that we're doing versus where we were three years ago, that friend better say yes as well. And at a high level, there needs to be a better and stronger and more reciprocal social contract between people and organizations 10 years from now. I don't, I don't think the industrial era mentality of I'm going to work solely for a paycheck is going to be sustainable over the next decade. I think we should have higher expectations. And frankly, it's encouraging for me to see the generation entering the workplace today 
does have higher expectations. They don't want to go to work and uh, manufacture cigarettes for five years that might kill people 20 years down the road. They want to go work and do something that they feel good about when they go home at night and that energizes them in the process. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we've been talking about the book, Life's Greatest Question, Discover How You Contribute to the World. Our guest is Tom Rath. Tom, where can people find out about the book, get their hands on it, and uh, complete their own online profiles? Yeah, they can learn more about this book in particular at Contribify.com or about any of the books and topics we're talking about at TomRath.org. Contribify.com, that's with all eyes. There's no use. The first time I tried it, I went, <laughs> I got that wrong. It's a tongue twister, but at least a short domain. And TomRath.org, great. Well, Tom, it has been a pleasure to have you back on the show. We'll have you back on soon to talk about how leaders can um, help their teams make a greater contribution to the world. But thanks for joining us this time. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. We will provide links to Tom's website, to the online assessment, Contribify, to his recent books, um, as well as his Twitter and LinkedIn profiles, and to all of his previous interviews on Engaging Leader. You can find all those at our show notes for this episode at engagingleader.com forward slash 200, as in episode 200. Woohoo! This is a production of Workforce Communication. We're a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results in several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at workforcecommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, Jamie Barnes, Tom Hitchcock, and Jenny Kalinda from our social media team, JJ Leahy from our video and graphic design team, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Betsy Leahy, our sound and video editor. Until next time, remember, the people changing the world today aren't just leaders, they're engagers.